worship you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Aren't you happy to be in the house of the Lord on a Sunday evening? Clap your hands one more time and give God praise. Amen. As you remain standing, we'll hasten to the word of the Lord. Thank you for being in the house of the Lord. Exodus 25, verse number 8. We're going to continue our study of the tabernacle and how it applies to the New Testament church. Amen. It says, And let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell among them according to all that I show thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall ye make it. Amen. Lord bless you as you're seated. got a lot of information that I want to to give to you this afternoon, this evening, so uh, I'm going to try to fit it all in in our Sunday school time. We've been talking about the tabernacle, how its entire purpose was that a holy God could have a relationship and communion with an unholy people. Light can have no fellowship with darkness. Holiness can have no fellowship with unholiness. Righteousness cannot fellowship with unrighteousness. So God had to institute means whereby he could uh, communicate with his people and he could commune with his people. But the only way it worked was they had to put it together like he said. You can't do it your way. Anybody ever try to put something together and have a bunch of pieces left over? Probably didn't do it the right way. If you have to create a screw hole where there's supposed to be but there's not, chances are you didn't put the piece together. I remember one time helping somebody with a swing set. Not just a little swing set. It was one of the big ones with the clubhouse and all of the extras. And I was just there, like Brother Jeremy says, from the neck down. I mean, I was just there to hand boards and bolts, but he didn't ask me to come for my intelligence. And we got to the point at the beginning, it was everything was prefabbed and pre-drilled and all. It's supposed to be just one of those installs in minutes types deals, but it wasn't. And it, at the beginning, I remember him, the gentleman I was with, putting this piece together, and I remember thinking, I don't think this is right. But once again, he didn't ask me. I didn't want to say anything. Here we go. And you know what? Hours later, when we got to a certain point, I realized I should have spoke up. Because it was wrong, and we had to take the whole thing apart because we messed up at the beginning. And it's, that's the same way in living for God. If you don't get the beginning right, it's going to affect you down the road. You got to make sure you, if you want to be saved, that tabernacle has to be put together like God said. Put it together. There's a lot of people that want to 
do their own thing. I, I was reading a, uh, an article this week about uh, a celebrity um, who had a bunch of has a bunch of children with a bunch of different people, and they were talking to them about. And, and it's all by choice. It's not by accident. It's just by choice. And he said, this is my way of doing fam the family. And he said, society has tried to define what's right and wrong too long. He said, I believe you ought to do what you think is right. Well, you know what? The Bible says every way of man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondered the heart. You can't choose what you think is right or how you think it should be done and then label it as right. This is the book that labels what is right and how to live and, and you got to abide by that book. So in this tabernacle, we've already talked about uh, three different pieces of furniture. We've talked about the vertical plan of salvation, which is the blood the water, and the spirit. These are pictured in the brazen altar, the brazen labor, and the ark of the covenant, or the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in our life, it represents repentance, baptism, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And the, the Old Testament points to the New Testament. And so today, we want to begin dealing with the three components of God's horizontal plan of sanctification, which is witness, prayer, and the word. They are pictured in the golden candlestick, the altar of incense, and the table of showbread, which are all three located in the holy place. I want you to think of it like this. Witness is me talking to others. Prayer is me talking to God. And the Word is God talking to me. Okay? Witness me talking to others. Prayer, me talking to God. And the Word is God talking to me. You've got to have that time in the Word where God can begin to speak to you about things. You know, it's amazing how, if you listen, how much God speaks through this book. There's stories in the Old Testament that you think have no bearing on the new, on where we're at today. But if you'll read some of them stories, the same actions that you read about are happening today in people's lives and in your lives. You just swap the characters, swap the people, but it's the same actions. So let's go to Exodus 25, verse 31. And thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold. Of beaten work shall the candlestick be made. His shaft and his branches, his bowls, his knops, and his flowers shall be of the same. And six branches shall come out of the sides of it, three branches of the candlestick out of the one side, and three branches of the candlestick out of the other side. Three bowls made like unto almonds with a knop and a flower in one branch. And three bowls made like almonds in the other branch with a knop and a flower. So in the six branches that come out of the candlestick. And in the candlestick shall be four bowls made like unto almonds with their knops and their flowers. And there shall be a knop under two branches of the same. 
and a knop under two branches of the same, and a knop under two branches of the same, according to the six branches that proceed out of the candlestick. Their knops and their branches shall be of the same, all it shall be one beaten work of pure gold. And thou shalt make the seven lamps thereof, and they shall light the lamps thereof, that they may give light over against it. And the tongs thereof and the snuff dishes thereof shall be of pure gold. Of a talent of pure gold shall he make it with all these vessels. And look that thou make them after their pattern which was showed thee in the mount. The chief purpose of the golden candlestick was to give light. Just as the church is to be a witness for the Lord in the world. Witness means me talking to others. Jesus was the light of the world while he was on the earth. But now he, we are, he wants his church to be the light of the world. He said, I am the light of the world. He said, ye are the light of the world. Because he said, that light that I am, I'm going to put inside of you, and you are going to, to shine that light in the midst of darkness. The candlestick was the only light in the holy place. And we are the only Jesus that the world will ever see. They're not going to see Jesus in body. They're going to see Jesus in your body. So I want to ask you, what Jesus are they seeing when they look at you? If you are the representation or the manifestation of that light, Jesus Christ in the world, then what are they seeing? Are they seeing a Jesus that's full of love, full of compassion? Are they seeing a Jesus that is angry and backbiting and manipulative? What are they seeing? Because the, the Jesus that's in you is the only Jesus they're going to see in this world. John 9 and 5 says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. As long as, he said, as long as me, this body, am in the world, then I'm the light of the world. But then in Matthew 5, 14, he says, ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. When we think of a candlestick, in our minds we think of burning candles made of wax. That's our idea of a candle. But this was not made of wax. The golden candlestick was actually a lampstand with lighted oil lamps on top of its seven branches. Because there's a very important distinction that you want to catch right here. Candles burn by self-consumption. But oil lamps burn by the continual supply of oil that is poured into those candles. The church is not to shed forth God's light through consuming our own human energies, but through the constant infilling of the Holy Ghost in our life. 
The example is very clear with the ten virgins, the five wives and the five foolish virgins. It was all about how much oil they had in their lamps. Can I just tell you, if you don't have a, 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 a constant, consistent visitation of the Holy Ghost in your life, it's going to affect your light. It's going to affect your witness. But when you keep the oil supplied, when you keep the oil flowing, it's going to flow out of you. You take a, uh, uh, you take a, this right here, and if it's only got half full, then there's nothing flowing out. But if you, if this represents the Holy Ghost, if you're constantly being renewed, it's going to overflow and it's going to affect other people. They're going to see the witness in your life. The candlestick was originally lit by supernatural fire, but it was the priest's responsibility to maintain this fire by replenishing the oil daily. This was done every morning and every evening. The priests would fill the oil and they would trim the wicks so that there would be no smoke. And I don't know what your prayer schedule's like. I, I'm saying you need to try to the best of your ability to stay connected to the Holy Ghost and to let, that, let the Lord speak to you. Listen, you don't have to be laid out on the floor five hours a day. If you do, great. Pray for me. But you don't have to do that to keep the oil flowing. Okay? But you do have to have some type of connection to the Lord to keep that flow happening. Exodus chapter 27, verse 20. And thou shalt command the children of Israel that they bring thee pure oil, olive beaten for the light, to cause the lamp to burn always. Acts 2 and 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That was when that, that oil was poured into their life. Acts 4, 31, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. There is a direct correlation between the oil and the light. When the oil is diminished, the light will begin to fade. When the oil is full, the light will shine. What is the light? It is the witness. When they were filled with the Holy Ghost, the Bible says they spake the word of God with boldness. How many times have you been in church and he's preaching on prayer. He's preaching on fasting. He's preaching on reaching. He's preaching on witnessing. And you leave that altar just so ready to teach a hundred Bible studies. Because you just got that oil poured in you. And you're ready to go. You feel bold. But Thursday, what happened? If you don't keep the oil there, it's going to get less and less and less. It's human. We're human. Okay? I mean, I can't tell you how many people I've saved in my mind. 
How many 40-day fasts I've went on during a, a service? A bunch. Because when you're full of faith and oil, you're bold, ready to do it. It used to terrify the daylights out of me to talk to somebody I didn't know. I would rather take a beating than talk to somebody that like a, a, what we call a stranger, stranger danger, you know, just don't talk to them. It, I was raised in church, and this is all I knew. So to be a witness and to actually go out there and catch the fish, now if the, if the fish came close to the boat, I was good. I'd snag them, let's go out to eat, let's, I could do that. But to go out there and get one terrified the daylights out of me. And I had to force myself to be the first one to talk. And I made it a personal challenge that I wasn't going to wait on somebody to introduce themselves. I was going to be the one. And the more I did it, the easier and easier and easier it became to break out of that box. But you know, you can talk yourself out of everything. I mean, it don't take long. I mean, it's, I can't tell you how many times I've went to a fast food restaurant and I went to order salad and it came out chicken sandwich. Or I went to order water and it came out Coke. My mind has great intentions, but between here and here and this six inches right there, it gets messed up in the process. Because we can talk ourselves out of a lot of stuff. The golden lampstand was designed with a central shaft and several branches. It points ahead to what Jesus said about the church. He said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. Branches don't have to do anything except stay connected to the vine. That's it. That's all they've got to do. We have a lot of misconceptions about being a witness. I want to clear some of those misconceptions up tonight. First off, it is not me that produces the light. It is God within me that produces the light. Your personality is not going to produce light. It's the Holy Ghost in you that is going to attract people. Your personality make it, may make it easier to have conversation. But I've, I've seen a lot of people that could connect with their personality but never witnessed about what God could do because they had so little oil in their life there was no light shining. All right, Acts 1 and 8, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. I want to ask you, what do you think of when you hear the word evangelism? Here's some negative stereotypes. Obnoxious, pushy, insensitive. Here's some positive, outgoing, bold, extroverted. Can I tell you tonight, we need to get past our negative stereotypes of evangelism, which prevent us from being a witness. But we also need to get past our positive 
stereotypes. Because there are so many people who would not relate to this kind of person. But they'll relate to you. We've got this model in our mind that this is what it means to be a witness. I've got to be like this. No. You need to be like you. Because there are people that only you can connect with. There's people that only you can reach. They, this person over here may not be, be attracted to or connected to this model witness, but they will connect with you. We, you don't have to meet a certain standard set by men to be a witness. You have to be who God designed you to be, to be a witness. You know, we're hardest on ourselves because we say, well, I, I can never get up and teach a Bible study like that. Or I could never, I could never do this, or I could never, and we we start checking all the boxes of what we aren't. But what about what we are? We are filled with the Holy Ghost. And just like Moses started giving every excuse why he couldn't lead Israel, we do the same thing. We give God every excuse why we cannot be used by God. And God's just saying, I don't need your list of why you can't. I just need you to be willing to be used how I want to use you. Being a candlestick witness. We'll talk about this. Empowered by God. First, you got to be authentic. That candlestick was made of pure gold. It was authentic. One man once said, Christians are to be good news before they share good news. The gospel is not just something you preach, it's something you live. And so if what you're saying is not matching with what you're living, then you're lacking credibility. Like that guy that I told you, pretty sure I told you, he was he come to church, he come out of the world, he's about that tall, about like that, wide, and he had one of those personalities, he was a barroom brawler, I mean he was a fighter, and I remember when he come seeking the Holy Ghost, when he would pray, this is how he would stand, just like this, and he'd come up that aisle right there, and he, he didn't know nothing other than God was pulling on his heart. And a guy come up next to him, a well-meaning guy that just laid hands on him and went to yapping in tongues. I mean, rolling with it. And he, he stopped mid-sentence and went, what are you doing? And that guy said, well, brother, I'm praying in tongues. He said, not with me. And he shut her down. He didn't even know what tongues was. He just knew I want God. And he finally got filled with the Holy Ghost. And he had a hard hat. And he put, it was a green hard hat, and he put in yellow letters, Jesus, across the front of that thing. And, of course, it was a conversation piece out there at the, at the, at the work, at the refinery, because everybody knew he was just a pipe fitter. And they knew who he was. They knew how he acted. And, boy, he'd get to telling people about Jesus. Well, there was another man in our church, a lay minister, that worked out there with him and was watching him. And he, uh, he was well-meaning. But he'd get to talking to people about Jesus and inviting them to church. And if they showed any hint of not wanting it, he'd say, all right, you meet me in the parking lot after church or after we get off work, we're going to settle this. 
And finally, this lay minister pulled him aside and said, Brother, I said, listen, you probably need to stop wanting to fight people if they don't want to come to church or they're not open to Jesus. He said, you're ruining your credibility of being a Christian. He said, you think? He said, yeah, I'm pretty sure. You're ruining your credibility because what he was saying which was love and compassion and what Jesus could do was not matching what he was doing, which was wanting to fight them if they didn't want to come to church. You've got to be authentic. You don't need to be somebody else when you are trying to win somebody to the Lord. What will happen is this. Let's just say, you have a friend that is a witness or you have a friend that can teach Bible studies. Oftentimes what will happen is you think you got to do it like they do it. I got to teach like they teach. I got to sound like they sound. And that's not true. You've got to be you. You be authentic. Your personal testimony is still the most effective and powerful means of communication. What God did for you. I used to listen to people growing up and they had all of these cool testimonies. I mean barroom stories and I used to think I needed to be stabbed and shot to have a good testimony. And I realized that I have one of the greatest testimonies and that is that God kept me from all that stuff in the world. My testimony is that God's hand has preserved me from all of the dangers of the world and I'm just as happy about it as if I'd have been shot or stabbed. Amen? You need to be, ver- you need to be authentic, but then you need to be verbal. The candlestick lighted the table of showbread. Romans 10, 14, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Just as words without actions are empty, so are actions without words. We have to be able to live and explain the gospel. First, the first thing I would recommend doing is to see how biblically literate you are. And when I say that, this is what I mean. You take a little Bible study first. They have, we have little one-hour Bible studies. And see how well you know it. Because it's hard to explain what you don't know yourself. If I made up a quiz of 20 questions and passed it out, and told you not to put your name on it, but to to answer them the best of your ability, such as what are the name of the 12 disciples? What are the Ten Commandments? Name three verses that pertain to oneness, three verses that pertain to repentance, three verses that pertain to baptism, three verses that pertain to the Holy Ghost. How well would you do? How biblically literate are you? Because if you can't, if you don't have knowledge and you can't say it yourself, then how can you tell somebody else what it takes to be saved? But then, one of the greatest teachers or one of the greatest way to learn is to teach. So you teach it to yourself first. And then you teach it to others. But you have to verbalize the gospel. 
You've got to be process-oriented. Here was the process. They had to put oil in it morning and evening. Like clockwork. Morning and evening. Event-oriented evangelism tries to rush and push people. There was a guy uh, several years ago. He had his... He developed this heaven or hell evangelism method. And I'm not saying people did not get the Holy Ghost, and I'm not saying people didn't get saved. It's not what I'm I'm not doing that. But here was the method. They'd be in a van. This is the, this is the God's honest truth. They'd be in a van in a big city. They'd see somebody on the side of the road. They'd rush up to them. Throw the van door open. Jump out and say, if God came back right now, do you want to go to heaven or hell? Well, naturally, most people in their right mind are going to say heaven. And they'd say, well, you've got, you got to repent, be baptized in Jesus' name, and receive the Holy Ghost go to heaven. Do you want that? And they're just sitting there in a stupor. Yes. They throw them in the van and take them to a baptistry tank and baptize them. And sometimes they get the Holy Ghost, sometimes they didn't. And they were just chalking up numbers. Well, listen to me. I'm not saying people do not have legitimate experiences with God. But when a person is forced to make a decision instantly, nine times out of ten, it's not going to stick. But when a person feels that conviction and that call of God on their heart to respond, then they've, they have weighed their choices in the balance and they are choosing to respond to that call of God. Process-oriented evangelism patiently brings people along step by step. Baptism, for example, is only effective if you have faith in the name of Jesus and have an understanding of what is actually happening in the water. And before I baptize, baptize someone, I want to make sure they know this is what is happening. Because I could bring them up there in, in the emotion of the moment and baptized, but without faith and an understanding, then we, can, we, we jeopardize the salvation process of that individual because their emotions will fade. Process-oriented. Then there was a, it's got to be team-oriented. It took many priests working together. And in this room, God has gifted every person in your own way. But it takes all of us working together to bring someone to Christ. The Bible says somebody's got to break up the ground. Somebody's got to plant the seed. Somebody's got to water it. But who gives the increase? God. A friend of mine one time told me about a church. They were in revival with Charles Mahaney. Anybody ever heard of Charles Mahaney? He's going on to be with the Lord now, but he was a, he was a unique fella. And in the middle of preaching in this revival, Brother Mahaney stopped and said, not a single person is going to get the Holy Ghost during this revival. Well, that's kind of disheartening to a pastor. 
He said, but the next joker that comes through is going to reap a harvest. Well, guess my buddy was the next joker that happened to show up just to preach a service. And it blew up. And they prayed through so many people during that revival. Not because he was good preaching. Number one, it was prophesied. But it was because somebody went ahead and planted and watered and did their part. When I was evangelizing, I used to get so frustrated the first few years of my evangelistic ministry. Because I'd have all my friends talking about how many got the Holy Ghost and how many got healed and all this stuff. And I'd have revivals where I never had one person got the Holy Ghost. Not because I wasn't preaching it. Not because I didn't want it. But because my ministry was different than theirs. I was the one that would go in and sniff out what was wrong and preach on things that the pastor didn't have liberty to preach about because he had too much knowledge and dig all the skeletons out of the closet and do all the junk that nobody liked doing. But it had to be done so the church could be healthy and so a revival could take place in the future. Listen, every person here can be a witness in your own way. In your own way. You don't have to do it like somebody next to you. You have to do it like God has enabled you to do it. Stand with me right now as we come near to a close. We've got to get over the mindset of I've got to be a certain thing to be a witness. You don't have to be anybody but you to be a witness. You letting that light shine through your life affecting other people. There's no telling who God wants you to reach. There's no telling who God is going to cross your paths with. And this is what he told Peter. He said, Peter, when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. Share your testimony. Let them know that if I can forgive you after everything that you've done and you betray in me, that I can forgive them of their sins too. Amen. I want us to lift our hands and let's, let's ask the Lord to help us tonight. Father.